All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I am joined, as always, by my pragmatic co-host here, Mr. Mark Yusko. Pragmatic, yes. I I gave you a sunny, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago, and I think we're going to get, we're going to have a pretty real discussion here about the state of crypto. So yeah, I I think we are. I think we're, and and, um, I just realized, you know, and I've always been in the red room, right? Mm. Uh, Because I, you know, the library is red, but I I just never noticed that because I I am wearing red today. I I got the red pants on, you know, because there's blood in the streets everywhere. Mm. And I went way old school. I went mm. to the first pair of Bitcoin socks I ever got. This is the logo pre-2011, actually. Mm. I think I got the socks in 13. Um, so why they were still yellow when we had changed in 11 to orange, I don't know. Um, but first pair of socks I got. And I got one other thing uh, to show before we get going. I got two other things to show before we get going. So uh, one, um, I, I heard, I read a study the other day that you're not supposed to drink your first cup of coffee until after you've been up an hour. So your circadian rhythm resets. So this is, so I might not be quite as energetic this morning because this is my first sip of the glorious liquid. Wow. That, I mean, I've been doing it wrong my entire life. I know, I I know. I've been doing it wrong because I I get up, I push the button and I have my cup and I sit and I talk to, to Will and he goes off to school and then I go up and I get ready for the day. Well, today I had water instead, and so that that is my first sip of coffee. Now, the other thing, I am old school. I don't I don't have a fancy tech, so to make my computer the right height, <laughs> it sits on a bunch of National Geographics. And for whatever reason, I took them out in different order today, and this uh-huh. was on top. No way, Bahamas blue holes. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, now we know where the money went. It went mm. into the Bahamas blue holes, yeah. uh, or we may have yeah. to rename him the Bahamian uh, black hole. Um, but anyway, I, I, just, I was like, "That is that is life imitating art." Mark, that makes me laugh, man. That you're we've been doing this for a year. I didn't realize your computer was sitting on a stack of magazines. My computer is sitting on the box that this microphone comes in. That's that's, <laughs> that's what I do at the office. That, that's, that's what I do at I the office. The box the is right the perfect height. height. It is the perfect, that box, right? The microphone box is the perfect height. Yeah. And, uh, but it's at the office instead of at home here. So uh, that makes me laugh. All right. Yeah. So we're, we're heading into this week. There are a couple of big news stories. I would almost like to look SBF. The whole trial went on this week and John Ray testified in front of God and, and everyone else. And SBF has finally been arrested. Eight counts. We've got wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, securities fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, money laundering. They threw the book at him. Look, we, we could say some words on this, but honestly, you and I have talked about FTX and SPF a lot. I'd almost like to just, look, it's December 16th that we're recording this. Let's put him and that whole thing in our rear view and just move forward. That being uh, said- Amen. Yeah. Like, can, can, we, can we make it through the whole show without <laughs> saying the letters FTX? It reminds me, in 2000, Michael, I showed this chart from Jeremy Grantham that said how overvalued stocks were. Um mm-hmm kind of similar to where we are today. And my board said, Mark, you're my board chairman said, Mark, you're not allowed to use the letters G M or O in a sentence ever again. That guy's always wrong. There's no way stocks could be negative for 10 years. That's impossible. Yeah, they can. And they were 10 years. Mm. Think about that. 10 years Mm. from 2000 to 2010, the return, the compound return on stocks was minus 1.9%. Mm. And it is about to happen again. So it's ugly. It, it very well might. It's not looking good out there in, in the land of equities. But let, let's talk about a couple of the looming threats, you know, when we still look at crypto today. So we've had uh, not just one, but I would say multiple different shoes drop on us mm. over the course of the last I'm running out of six shoes. To nine months or so. I know. I'm running right? out of shoes. We've got big hedge funds blowing up. We've got stable coins blowing up. We have exchanges blowing up and massive fraud being committed. You know, when you look at when you, when you look at what is still out there in terms of what could possibly still happen, I think there are basically three big threat vectors, let's call it. One is this sort of looming situation of DCG and Genesis. We don't really know what's going on there. I we'll get into it, but basically every single time you sort of hear Genesis owes more and more money, right? And we've gone weeks and we haven't really heard any sort of resolution over there. We know that GBTC and Grayscale is an amazing business. It prints a lot of money. So we've thought for a period of time, this is going to work itself out. But 
there's there's a potential there. Uh, you know, two weeks risk. ago, two weeks ago, if they didn't raise a billion dollars by Monday, it was game yeah. over. I remember that, and too. it's still not game over. So yeah. I, it, it it's a little bit like the old adage, you know, if you borrow thousand dollars, you have a banker. If you borrow a million dollars, you have a, a partner. You mm-hmm. borrow a couple billion dollars. You know, you're actually in charge again, which is so weird, right? You know, and so extend and pretend is definitely going on all over the place. I mean, banks are literally, and and this time they can do that because unlike, you know, in the global financial crisis, it was like that Spider-Man meme. All the banks were looking at each other like, give me my money. Well, you have my money. Give give me my money. He's got, and no one had any money. So there was a a massive global margin call and, you know, had the global financial crisis here. The banks are actually in decent shape Mm. other than a few in Europe, but, but the U S banks have been reliquified through low interest rates. So I, I think that's probably what's happening is Mm. yeah, they owe a bunch of money, but you know, in my, in, in some ways it reminds me of, I don't know if you remember the story, but when, when the global financial crisis happened, the REITs uh, mm. all went down, right? They, they got clobbered because they were overlevered. But there was one, there was a, a giant mall REIT that Bill Ackman owned a big hunk of in his hedge fund. And just to show you how unfair the world is, mm. um, went bankrupt, declared bankruptcy. Now, when something goes bankrupt, what does that mean? It means the loaners turn into the owners, right? In this world, there's only two things. You're a loaner or an owner. You own debt or you own equity, okay? That's it. There's currencies and commodities too, but but at the end of the day, there's equity and debt. And so in a bankruptcy, the debt gets paid first. Right. And if there's anything left, that goes to equity owners. In this case, there there was no there there. And, but Jamie Dimon, you know, Jamie said, well, you know, Bill, he, he's a friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I, he's my buddy. I, I'm just not going to foreclose on the assets. And we had bought all this debt at pennies on the dollar, thinking we were going to own the equity of this mm-hmm. great business. It's like, no, I'm just going to let Bill keep the equity. Like, no, you don't get to do that. that but they did. And nobody enforced it. And no, because it was, you know, Jamie's, Jamie's decision. And that actually became the best performing stock in the next 10 years. Actually mm. edged out UNH as the best performing stock in the S&P. And it pisses me off to this day, obviously, because <laughs> that was my money. That was my client's money. It wasn't my money. It was my client's money. And that is not the way the world's supposed to work. Mm-mm. But that is how the world works. Not in smart and, contract land, it doesn't. That ah, is not how it works. Ah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Amen. You know what? Yeah. Amen to that. Amen Doesn't to work that. like no that in smart contract Jamie land. Diamond bullshit in a smart contract world. I love that. Although, if I had to take a guess at what's going on with the DCG Genesis situation, there's a little bit of probably renegotiation going on, yeah. right? Because to yeah. your point, I actually think there's almost an interesting philosophical. Like when you when you take a look at like what is an asset versus a liability, loans are a very interesting. They're a very interesting part of that story because they are, to your point before. In many cases, you look at it from a purely gap accounting way, uh, they're an asset, right? Because they earn me interest and then I'll get yeah. my principal back. Yeah. Obviously, if you have an enormous amount of assets or loans that are outstanding and people decide not to pay you, suddenly they're looking a lot more like ability, uh, liability than an yeah. asset. Yeah. But uh, okay, let's let's keep, let's keep go back to the threats. So we've got DCG yep. and Genesis sort of hanging us over like a big sort of Damocles here. We've also got finance and we've Although, got- just tether. one thing on that before, before we go to the second yeah. two. As, as, as important as Genesis is in terms of it's intermingled with everybody it borrowed and lent, it's, it's, you know, the, the primary prime broker and, you know, Gemini and all these companies were, were intertwined. It ain't a lot of money. I mean, I hate, I hate to say that about $2 billion yeah. or $3 billion. It's not a lot of money. It's just not. And yeah. it sounds ridiculous to say that out loud because it's an enormous sum of money, but it's not in the big yeah. picture. That is just not a lot of money. And, and I keep going back to, to first principles on this. Mt. Gox was a way worse event than what we're going through right now. Like orders of magnitude worse. 
the market was much smaller, the size of it relationship, the number of alternatives you had for, for exchange activity, there just wasn't there. Now, you can say, well, it's not just $2 billion, Mark. It's the $2 billion multiplied by the leverage at all the other places. Fair. But even if it's five times that, it's just not in a, in a trillion dollar industry, it's just not that big a deal. So um, we survived Lehman, we survived Bear Stearns. We survived, now, it was hard, and, uh, but there were bailouts. Mm, yeah, but there didn't need to be. Right? You could have let them fail. You could have let those banks fail. And you did let <laughs> Lehman. You know, I was, I was loving it. Well, they bailed out the bank. Well, other than Lehman and Ben Stearns, who <laughs> right. obviously pissed somebody off. Um, but anyway. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a very good point. And, and people have made this analogy, but I think it's sort of accurate, is we might be seeing in real time in crypto what it would have looked like if we didn't have a central bank to step in and reliquify. So come on, guys. It's on us as an industry. Well, I mean, it's already sort of baked in the cake, right? There are a lot of big players that we don't have, you and I, Mark, don't necessarily have a lot of control over. But what we can do is yep. try to shed some light on the situation, provide some impartial analysis, because I think if I'm putting my hand up, uh, heading into this year, the last two years, I probably could have been a little bit more critical about some of the aspects of the industry that yeah, uh, people who I thought were maybe not always speaking in totally good faith, uh, you know, commentary and analysis, turns out. Maybe they were more right than wrong. And I think that's just a lesson that we'll have to carry with us moving forward so we can be better, you know, going yeah. into the future. And, and to that point, you know, um, style, <laughs> and I'm like the worst person to talk about style, Mr. Yeah. Bombastic, and, yeah. and uh, always sure of himself. But style matters, right? There's, there's a couple of people on Twitter. Their style's just so abrasive. Mm. They're like, I, no, I don't like them, so I don't, I don't listen to them. And I've been forcing myself to read this one guy in particular. I mean, I, th I assume it's a guy. I think it's a guy. Um, but I don't know because it's Anon. It's an Anon, um, yeah. And I, I mean, he's been so right. I mean, so right. And, um, oh, I mean, I should, I should give him props. Bitfinexed. Mm. Um, and I did not like his style. I did not like... Well, we'll get to Tether... I had a I had a discussion with yeah you know, very popular anal analyst uh, podcast host who I have an enormous amount of respect for and has treated crypto I think pretty fairly and you know he was sort of asking me he is very bearish on tether and was sort of asking me like Michael I mean we have these conversations you know every couple of weeks yeah. we'll have like an hour yeah. long catch up or something how how did you not look at tether like that i mean how did you i mean there were so many warning signs right just about the way the structure in between bitfinex and tether and look i'm not sitting here with any sort of special information all i'm saying is you know when there were calls for transparency around tether i mean there were these repeated you know we just hear the same thing over and over mark it's like oh these people are being unfair blah 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 but why can't we why can't another we produce... bahamian blue hole i mean yeah it's located in the bahamas it it is tied into these other banks that have, you know, known to do bad stuff tied yeah. to FTX. So I agree with you. We, but here's the thing. It's not that we actually did on multiple occasions. If we go back and, and, you know, review the tape, although I said that the other day with somebody and I said, no one knows what we're talking about. No one knows what a tape is. No, no, <laughs> one, not, no one knows that rewind the tape. There's no tapes in the yeah. digital age. Yeah. So, um, but if we roll back the, the digital recording, uh, we did talk about this on a number of occasions. And what's really interesting, in May, when Luna crashed and everybody said Luna was, or uh, Tether was next, didn't break the buck. I know. Process withdrawals, no problem. Um, and, and look, the bottom, the bottom line is they've gone from $85 billion to $65 billion. So that means $20 billion got withdrawn. And people yeah. are happy. They, they got what they... So now, I would say it's like the bottom of a Coke can. Mm -hmm. You never want that last sip. It's just disgusting. <laughs> and if you actually think about it, you <laughs> never drink it. I mean, it's just... So... That is a poignant analogy right there. Was, yeah. And, I, and it's just... I mean, if you think about what that bottom is, the backwash and the spin, it's just... Bleh. But yeah. Or the bottom of, of the, you know, the, the old-fashioned coffee maker, right? The grounds. And so the bottom of of tether 
disgusting, gross, un, mm-hmm. unbacked, whatever, you know. But how much is pure water or coffee or Coke on, you know, down? How far down do we have to go? And that's what I think we're going to talk about with, with the second risk, right? Mm. Well, here's, here's, I think, the thing that, look, I don't have any special information. I think anyone who operates in this industry seriously, either from a career standpoint or you have an enormous amount of money invested or you just have an interest in seeing this industry succeed, I think if we take one thing away from this year is that we need to be better in many respects. And be one aspect of that is we just need to demand transparency. transparency. No more of this, hey, I'm being fudded. Okay, I understand, but we also demand transparency here. Before we actually get into Tether, I want to talk a little bit about Binance. So Binance, right? Binance is in this very interesting position right now in that there was a, first of all, the Kevin O'Leary uh, was, I mean, that was- I almost had to take a Twitter break. Like, yeah. Oh my God. So to, to blame Binance for FTX's demise is almost unconscionable. I don't know how you, from a purely unbiased standpoint, get there. And then it turns out he took $15 he's million not dollars from FTX. Michael, right, he took $15 million unbiased. dollars from FTX. He is a, he is an actor. Yeah. He's an actor. He's been given a script, okay, by the government- Here's what you say. We want to turn this. Look, if if you believe as I do that this is all coming from a high place, that mm. Sam is a useful idiot, that Caroline is a useful idiot, then what you want to do now is you want to turn the narrative. This is China. This is the PBOC. This is bad guys. We're the good guys. We we are the victims. And this guy either is going to walk because it was China or he's going to disappear. I still think he's going to disappear. Well, but potentially, you know, I don't even necessarily subscribe to that, to that idea, but also, I mean, come on, it's just, he accepted a $15 million, you know, endorsement, which is essentially now we can just, it looks more like a bribe, frankly, with the current circumstances. And that I thought that was not great testimony. That being said here, Binance basically, you know, I think two weeks ago, and I think we even talked about it on the show. They released their scheme for proof of reserves. So mm-hmm. proof of reserves is something that people in crypto have been talking about for a long time. Nick Carter, especially, has really been uh, sort of dying on the hill of or, or advocating in a very positive way, yeah. I should say. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there have been a, there have been a couple, I would say, actually pretty good faith attempts to do legitimate proof of reserves, which critically does not just mean proof of assets, right? Which is, hey, let me point to this wallet with. $5 billion worth of Bitcoin, yeah. that's useless in isolation. You need the proof of liabilities that corresponds yeah. to those assets, right? So in a perfect world, there's $5 billion worth of Bitcoin in this account, which corresponds to $5 billion of outstanding liabilities, which are customer deposits. So actually, of all the exchanges, Mark, BitMEX actually came out with the first, I thought, pretty good scheme for proof of liabilities. You can read on yeah. their website, BitMEX Research. And basically what they wanted to do was say, this is the problem, right? Proof of assets, very easy. You can point to a wallet, but proof of liabilities, much harder, right? Much harder. And what you can do is say, well, the liabilities that we really care about from an exchange standpoint is customer deposits. There Now, there are limitations there. You could always loan out those customer deposits. But look, what we want to do is make sure at least as step one that the customer deposits are here. Well, how can you actually do that? So- what turns out what you can do is you can have you create a Merkle tree, which is a data structure, right? And you've got individual leafs in the in the Merkle tree, which correspond to basically like a unique identifier that a customer can use. And exchanges, so Kraken actually does this. They're the other sort of luminary in this aspect. They provide that to you, and it's a unique sort of identifier. And it all rolls up into the total liability number, which should meet to the assets. The idea here being you as a customer can take your unique identifier that they give you and test whether or not your in the assets that you have in your exchange account are included in that whole number. And the idea is if enough people test that, then you can say, look, hey, I've had not everyone's going to do that, right? But you have some small independent random sample and all the liabilities are there. Binance releases this thing that is not that. That is not that whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) There are an enormous amount of problems with it in that they equate uh, BTCB and BBTC, which is wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain to regular BTC, not what you want because you're taking risk there with Binance being an issuer. They also include negative exchange balances, Mark, which I don't want to get into how 
a margin exchange works versus a spot. But basically, a margin exchange, you are depositing a small amount of collateral to, to, that allows you to trade to much larger position side. The exchange is giving you a loan, which shows up yeah. in your account, assets and liabilities, right? It's a liability to you. It's an asset to the exchange. Those assets, that loan is not deposits. That's not real. Bitcoin that you've deposited, that should not be included in the exchange's calculation of what their assets are. And it was for Binance. So all these sorts of problems, right? And people rightly sort of poked and said, Jesse Powell from Kraken tweeted out, hey, I said I was going to be more strict about calling out stuff that I don't like. This is not good. The way that this not has good. been done. Now, let me see if I can share this with you. Uh, Travis Kling, who frankly has more reason than than any of us, right, to to doubt or have have concerns about when they're bad actors. Just just listen to this this clip here. And this relates to F, uh, FTX. Um, yesterday, uh, Kevin O'Leary testified in, in front of uh, the Senate, and he was asked where did the money go, uh, meaning the FTX money. And he suggested that one place that the money may have gone is, in fact, to you. Uh, when Sam Bankman-Fried, back in 21, the summer of 21, effectively bought out your stake in the company. How concerned are you that that money uh, will be uh, clawed back? Uh, are you prepared uh, to uh, hand it back to creditors if, in fact, they were to ask? And was it paid to you in U.S. dollars in some other kind of currency? Well, first of all, I think um, Calvin um, O'Leary, um, he's making a bunch of nonsense claims, and they don't make sense. They don't make any logic. Um, he shouldn't be making those claims as a celebrity investor. I'm actually very surprised that he's able to omit a lot of different things and make some really uh, specific uh, targeted things. For example, in that interview with you guys, that in the same interview, he said the entire record from his account on FTX, the entire records are gone. He's not concerned about that. He just picks up the phone and calls SDF. He's not concerned about the fact that the platform records for users are gone. He's not concerned about other users. How many people can pick up the phone and call SBF? And he see, says he was talking with SBF up until the point that he was SBF was arrested. Yeah, so, that, see, see, that's I see an your indicator point. of a very special relationship. Yeah, I see your point, and, and I, I don't think that I don't think the problems at, that existed at FTX were simply any back and so, forth between your two forms. It, it, it definitely yeah. led to the disclosure that there had been money that was taken, but that disclosure raises lots of questions about firms like yours. Have you yeah. done the same? Has there ever been commingled funds? Have you ever taken any of the client's funds and done anything with them? And again, why should we believe you? Because Sam Bankman-Fried told everybody, no, that hasn't happened. And he tweeted a lot of the same stuff that you've been tweeting in recent days, which I think gets right. back to this idea of show me the money. Yeah, so let's get back to show me the money part. So Calvin omitted the fact that there's no records. That's not a problem to him. So he just want to talk to Sam and believe whatever Sam says. He doesn't want to look at the records. And if you look, and he wants to omit all the small spendings, $50 million, $200 million. $200 million of small spending, that's very convenient. He says he didn't know that Binance was a shareholder of FTX. So he invested in FTX without looking at the cap table. But he was very specific in the way he counts for a transaction two years ago. So that's kind of contradictory. So um, I think Calvin's a liar. So um, I think he's lying about, about a bunch of stuff. So that's okay, his problem. To us, we want to be transparent. We want to set the golden standard for reliability, solidness in the so space. Do it. And we're so, so Mark, we, we could actually do more. There's a Calvin, whole other video. Calvin. Calvin. There's a whole other video clip. But what did we get there? So there was a question. And, you know, actually to the to the two folks on Squawk, uh, Squawk Box, these are pretty good, solid questions. I thought they nailed the idea that CZ didn't necessarily cause the demise of FTX. We shouldn't be laying the blame of that at, at his feet. But they were asking pointed, hard questions about how they how Binance does business and how did CZ respond? He called Kevin O'Leary a liar. Just doesn't inspire that much confidence, does it? Mm -hmm. well, he called he Calvin O'Leary a liar. Right. I love that part. Right, I mean, yeah, yeah. She's Calvin. Um, yeah. But look, I, I mean, part of the challenge, right? I think always, um, you know, I'm always amazed at people who, who do interviews in their non-native tongue, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's obviously some, some language. I mean, his English is amazing and, and I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying that there's always a, a gap when you're, when you're talking to someone. You know, like, I don't, I don't totally. go on TV yeah. ever 
and and do interviews in Spanish or or French because I don't speak those. Um, so my English isn't very good. So I, I think there, that's there's there's part of that. Part of it too is um, you know the issue for me in, in Binance isn't necessarily the functionality. Uh, I'm get struggling for the right word here. <laughs> my English. Uh, it, it's not the the methodology is the word I'm thinking of, of, of the, the reserves, which I, I think you're right. It, 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 it's lacking. I think for me, the, the issue is how, how closely does BNB represent or uh, uh, associate to FTT? As, as, as I understand it, and, and, I'm, and I hope to be proven wrong, but as I understand it, they're kind of the same. They're utility tokens, that don't actually give you a share of equity, debt, or a claim on cash flows. And if that's true, okay, then you have the risk, just like with Cell, just like VGX, just like with uh, FTT, that if you use that asset as collateral, it's just a Ponzi. I mean, that that yeah. literally, because there, there's no, there's nothing behind a trading coin, a meme coin, which is essentially what it is. If there's if there's no, you know, claim on cash flows or or ownership, it's not it's not a real asset. And so, my question is, like, well, the question is, how much of the BNB is used in the balance sheet of Binance in the same way that FTT was used in uh, FTX, because that's there's, ultimately what led to the downfall. Totally. I ju just want to clarify that there's one big difference between BNB and, and okay. FTT, which is that Binance actually does have Binance Smart Chain, which whatever you think about it actually has an enormous amount of utility. And BNB is the native token of Binance Smart Chain in the same way that Ether, the token is the same native that native token of Ethereum. Not making that okay. comparison necessarily, but no, there no, actually no, 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 is- No, 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 that's important. That's important. There, there's but, more- but does there, it, does it share in the transaction fees of Binance Smart Chain or no? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not See, actually. That's the part I don't know. And I, I should know that, but I, I don't. And well, because if, if it had a claim on cash flows, then I would feel better. But, but let's, let's just assume for now that it doesn't. And if, and if, and if it doesn't, and it's simply a trading token like Ethereum, mm. I'm fine with that. Yep. But if he's used it to secure loans the way FTT, I mean, the, the, the problem for BlockFi, for example, is not that they did all these things. I mean, you know, a couple things. So Ben Hunt, who you had on the show, is wrong, right? He's referring to the FTX bankruptcy filings, which why the world thinks those are accurate, I don't mm -hmm. understand. And FTX claimed that these were unsecured loans. Of course they claim that. They don't want to admit that they were not unsecured loans. They were secured loans. And I can, I can validate that as a factual statement. So the, the, the assertion that they're unsecured loans is wrong. The second thing is when they made the loan, it was actually a small percentage of their total assets. They had 20 billion in assets at, at the time. And so... $700 million loan isn't that big deal. Now, when assets fell because of the crash and of withdrawals, then it becomes a big deal. The, the real issue was the collateral. All the collateral up until uh, that particular loan had been either stable coins or, or Bitcoin. And, and the question is, and I actually have, you know, this is not public information, so I, I don't have any insight here, is whether there was originally Bitcoin or stablecoin and that post the merger, Sam or somebody at FTX changed, I just don't know the answer to that. But at the end, on the date of the, the bankruptcy, it was FTT, which has no value. And that's the problem. And that, that's, what I, that's what I'm concerned because I don't worry about BUSD, right? That, that seems to be pretty well backed. I don't worry about... Um, I don't worry about the the structure of of Binance because it's you know proven over and over and over again to be a pretty good 
not darn good exchange. What I do worry about is if BNB is being levered and used as collateral, and I worry about a run on the bank. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control of your personal finances. Here's the reason I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it as a technological Philistine. They aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan, but they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called go back in time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. Plus that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell my center. So basically, the way that I view it is, does, it, does BNB have access to cash flows that Binance generates? Probably not. Is that necessarily because CZ doesn't want to give access to those cash flows? Maybe, but also there are securities implications there, right? So I think BNB functions as the sort of rebate on for traders on Binance, and it also functions as the native token of Binance Smart Chain, which if you buy into the whole idea, which I do, of blockchain sell or L1 sell block space like Ethereum does, and then implement some kind of burn mechanism, and that's a valid economic relationship, then I, I, I personally have less of a problem with BNB. My problem actually does come from, and look, totally agree with the caveat that it's very difficult to give interviews in a non-native language. I only speak one language myself, so I can't really speak to that. But I don't think it's a language barrier that makes you call someone a liar. I also, oh. the way that he, you know, I thought that was, I'm sorry, that's like an enormous red flag for me. I, I can't look at that in a, that's an enormous red flag. I don't like when people... Mashinsky used well, to do no, this. Well, that's interesting because uh, Mashinsky used Kevin to get up on is... stage and call Brad or uh, and call um, Zach and Flory liars. Which I, I, I honestly, my heart goes out to Zach and Flory. I know BlockFi blew up. They had they had integrity as a management team. They, mm -hmm. I will stand up and say that they had integrity yeah, as a management absolutely. team as well. And it used to bother me when Mashinsky would get up on stage and be like, "They are lying. BlockFi's taking advantage of you." Blah blah blah. I hated that. And that was indicative, I'm sorry, probably of a, a little bit. There was an integrity issue there. And I, I'm well, that, to that see was a diversionary work. tactic. And, and so your point here, spot on, right? You could, you could absolutely interpret uh, that deflect and redirect, right? Mm -hmm. Which is Mashinsky, tell me, tell me why you're not a fraud. Well, they're liars. Okay. That was clearly a deflect. And redirect and hey, look at them, don't look at me. And he, he turned out he was the bad guy, right? Yeah. He was the one with the the cell token Ponzi. Um so not, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like no, a it's a red but, flag. But here's the that's why it's a red here's flag. The difference. Me, Florian and and Zach never said Mashinsky did something bad. Kevin O'Leary got up yeah. in congressional testimony. And said the reason FTX went under is because Binance attacked them. Yeah, I agree. That uh, it, it's it's not a it's, lie. It's a stupid, ridiculous statement. I mean, I agree. It's not a lie like a, a misstatement of a fact. It's it's his opinion, but it's it is propaganda. That's yeah. what it, it is. Propaganda to sell a narrative that. Look, you, you, I think you told me a couple weeks ago that somebody's mom that you knew was like, oh, that poor boy, right? About yeah, yeah. Sam. I'm like, I know. what do you mean that poor it, boy? I, for for the record, nothing... I think he's losing that battle now. I mean, he's-, he's No, 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 no he's for a, sure. Yeah, yeah. But- Yeah, the, the court of public know, opinion changed. But, but my point is to, I believe, I absolutely believe that that was not rogue Kevin. Hmm. I believe that was an intentional- plan. I don't think anything in these congressional hearings is accidental, right? They, they invited this idiot professor, I can't even remember her name, who spewed 
incredible amounts of nonsense, like just factually incorrect data about blockchains and crypto. And I mean, there are plenty of smart people they could have invited in. There was some other influencer that they invited. What, what the hell? Right. I'm actually I mean, sorry. This, do you know who the, have you ever watched the OC, Mark? Do you watch the OC? Uh, no, no, but that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. This is, oh my goodness. So yeah, I'm sorry. It's hard for me to be totally non-biased on this one either. The lead star of the OC, which was a drama akin to Gossip Girl, right? That was aired on the CW for like a couple seasons that captured the zeitgeist at the time. I actually, I found this interview that he gave on CNN. He dedicated his life to basically being this like crypto mythbuster, you know, very skeptic. And he is one of four people that gets called to testify in this public hearing. It's like, what? Come on. I mean, what kind of, I, I don't, you know, we think differently about this. Like, I just think that's a clown show. I just think that's, it's complete incompetence at the, at, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Oh, uh, see, want- see, they got you, Michael. They got you. It is not incompetence. Mm. It is intentional obfuscation of the facts to get an outcome, mm. right? The outcome that these people want is the Warren legislation and people hate in China. Mm. Those are the outcomes that people want. And if we blame China for this and we get, I mean, this is, this is akin, right? This is a, this is a 9-11, you know, Patriot Act moment. This is a, you know, global financial crisis, Dodd-Frankenstein moment. You're telling me that that, that however many hundred page bill was written in the last two weeks? Are you freaking kidding me? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it's been in the works for months and months. And just like it's not a coincidence that Bitcoin's birthday is in the middle of the global financial crisis, it wasn't created on that day. It was created for a you know many months, even years before. It was released precisely at an exact time. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that that is is truly disconcerting now. Um, yeah. I had no idea that Peter Thiel studied under Sam's dad. I didn't. I didn't realize that either. Actually, I didn't realize I, that until I, right now. I'm, I'm blown away. Mm. And um, you know who who comes in eighth on the list of uh, donors to. Uh, Democratic Party. So Soros is number one. Sam was mm. number two. You know who's number eight? Who? Peter. Wait a minute. Peter was the guy who Trump was was so buddy buddy with. He's the number eight donor to Democratic Party. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, and and I I, I this is the first time I'm going to say this publicly. Um, and I've said it before. Kind of name and names, but you know, on the Friday where we had a collection of us that were ready to fund BlockFi so that they didn't have to take the FTX deal, Peter Thiel's group backed out. No explanation. Just we're not we're not gonna do it. They had three hundred and thirty million dollars invested in this company and they walked away. Still makes no sense. All you had to do is throw in 50, 60 million bucks, which to Peter is like me putting a $5 bill out of my pocket. And it just hit me right now, live. That wasn't an accident. I don't believe that was an accident. And I, and I, I think this is, this is all a very, look, and, and you and I will, will, will disagree until it, it's proven one way or the other. But I, I think this is a very elaborate, I think there's nothing accidental of course you put on a clown show because it's not accidental that spf was supposed to testify right oh he's arrested he's detained okay oh oh but but he happens to have this perfectly typed out uh uh transcript that just gets leaked Mm. 
Really? So here's my, my, my take on all of this is that, so I read that transcript, by the way, everyone should give that transcript. Just read the opening. Sorry, you know what? I'm going to pull up the opening sentence for you here uh, because it is, it is. I like, I like the abbreviated version. How, wait, sorry, Mark, how classic is this? This, this is what he planned to say. This is how he planned to open his, his statement. I would like to start by formally stating under oath, I fucked up. Dude, what, what, what are you, what are you, what is this? Are you apologizing to your fraternity for absolutely like not buying enough beer for your party? You lost $10 billion, my man. That is not how you begin a testimony like that. It was, but it's just so classic. No, but Michael, that's all part of the clown show. Mm. That wasn't, he didn't write that. Mm. That was written and leaked for him. This is, this is really crazy crazy stuff and and we haven't talked about the warren bill that should make everyone who's listening to it this should i think that's not gonna pass podcast the warren bill i hope you're right if it does this is a very very difficult road to hoe yeah and I if have- you are in crypto and you are not terrified by this bill People say, oh, I can get around it. I'll VPN out and I'll, I'll, I'll buy my crypto. Okay. Okay. Mm. But they're basically going to criminalize, which, look, I, people always said, you know, government will just ban crypto. They can't ban crypto, right? It's a decentralized, it, it, it you know, just pops up everywhere else. But what you can do is what, they're, what they've done. You can reduce confidence through this public clown show spectacle of, of FTX which I believe was completely made up from day one. You can then criminalize holding it outside the system, the KYC AML system. And look, I, I still think I I I said this last week. I used to laugh when people like Elizabeth Warren would say, Oh, crypto is only used for money laundering. And she keeps doubling down on that, tripling down on that. Like, well, I, I used to laugh because I didn't realize that she had inside information, that they're the biggest money launderers. I mean, the whole FTX thing, it's a a money laundering scam. Like if you looked up the word money laundering, it would show you how to do it using SBF, you know, uh, company, shell companies, transferring money from one company to another, uh, you know, routing it through foreign countries, banking in the Bahamas. That's what money laundering is. So I... I'm I'm very concerned about about where this is headed. I think well, I just want to say one thing, and then we'll I, I want to move on because we we haven't talked very much about tether, and I want to get to implications of what all all this could mean. And and I also I have a, I have a slight counter narrative that I that I want to make sure we get okay. in here, just make sure what we're saying is is balanced. And I w- I would have more sympathy to the idea that this was a perfectly orchestrated takedown if I saw an immense amount of competence being exercised in other aspects of government but i don't like i that's just not how i view it i think the occam's razor simplest explanation for me i'm not sure this is any more positive than what you're saying but i think that we see institutional rot spread across a whole bunch of different swaths of society and at the end of the day is it worse if it's corruption yeah but is it really long-term worse if they're just that incompetent no it's 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 similar outcomes, kind of. You know, you, you we need people. We need we are we're lacking trust in government. We're lacking trust in media, in education, in the healthcare system. I mean, it's it's you you cannot have a society continue to function like this for a long period of time. And I say I I don't want to always say this view because it just sounds so darn negative. But I also you know I, and I don't have many solutions for it. But what I what I do know is that we need to fix this stuff. We need because. Just optically, the way all this whole SBF situation has been handled has just not inspired any confidence in anyone that's been paying any attention to it, and it's been handled weirdly. But I do, I do, because we'll, we'll keep going down this rabbit hole. So I want to Binance. I want to get your kind of handicap it because so the 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 other thing about Binance is there have been a record amount of outflows from Binance this yep. week. They handled it perfectly, and if you look at you know gone off without a hitch. If you look at you can you can see this information on on sorry coin metrics and and uh, crypto quant but if you look at the amount of exchange 
the, the, the balances, the, the Bitcoins and ETH that they have in reserve on the exchange, it's like completely unchanged, right? It's totally within the historical norm. So again, yeah. we're only looking at the assets, not the liabilities, but yep. I'm kind so of I looking at it. What does bug me about it, Michael, is um, we had this similar activity in, in Bitcoin uh, at Luna, at yep. Three Arrows, at FTX, and now here. Yeah. And you get this spike right before another drop. And and then the logic goes that the people lied, right? They didn't have it. And therefore they had to go buy it. And so that put pressure, upward pressure on the price. And then they had to give it to people as they took it out. So um, when there are these runs on the bank, if if the bank doesn't have the money and whether it's gross incompetence or, you know, planned theft, you know, it doesn't really matter. If you don't have it, you don't have it. Uh, you know, if you gave it to political candidates or you just lost it, you know, it went into one of the Bahamian, Bahamian blue holes, um, you know, or Caroline lost it trading, which I don't believe, I don't believe she ever traded anything. Um, forget oh, that you know she's what's just a bad trader. What's a good flag that I haven't been able to get a great explanation in theory of is if anyone has any, there was an article that, you know, there's such a deluge of news for a little while on this, that it was hard to even parse out, you know, what was the signal from the noise, so to speak. There was this article that came out that they got the tax receipts that I think Sam Bankman fried filed for his joint, you know, the combination of all of his entities. And he posted a $3.7 billion loss in 2021, which if you're doing the math at home, how much FTX raised about a billion dollars. Alameda didn't raise equity capital. They raised some debt capital at the beginning, but as far as I'm it's a paltry amount. So the question is, how do you lose that much money? And, and before you say, hey, mark to market losses, but there has to be an offsetting gain, right? You, you can't, you, you have to start from uh, start. A, high, a high dollar amount of money. But we said we weren't going to keep going. To, but if anyone has any good information on that, please ping me. I want to talk okay. a little bit about the – actually, you know what? Let me, let me present because I know we, we've gone a little over time here and I want to well, – let no, me present because we started late. Okay. Let me present a, a minor counter narrative to you here. Let's let, I want to try to take an optimistic bent actually going into this new year. So this could all change, right? If uh, either Tether ends up blowing up, there is not a good resolution to the DCG Genesis situation or Binance. And those are, in my opinion, the big risk factors that at least yep. I can see looking out into the market. Yep. On the other hand, we, when FTX imploded, Bitcoin and crypto really didn't put in a new low. Solana got smoked. You know, the SAM coins got smoked. Isn't that cut, right? Isn't that sort of the canonical bottom, right? There's a big, the big implosions, they happen at the bottom of the market and the price didn't necessarily move an enormous amount. Am I being overly optimistic saying that that's no, probably a no, positive you know, sign? You're, actually? you're definitely, you're definitely not. And, and look, that's why, you know, I contend that we're still in crypto spring, right? Everyone's like, oh no, crypto winter's back. I mean, no, it's still spring. It's just, there was this hurricane. You know, this this early hurricane came, Hurricane Sam. And yeah, it it caused another wave of unwinding of leverage. And and now we got these two other risk factors that are Binance and and Tether. So let's do the Binance math. I mean, Binance is big. I mean, they just had ten billion dollars of outflows. Is it that much? A little rise. Pardon? Mm. Was it ten billion in outflows? Yeah. Ten billion wow. in three days. Yeah. Two, three, and five. I mean, they had five in one day. So huge. Um, so, but they handled it well, as you, as you said. And, and the question Six is- Six billion took FTX down, just going to say, and they handled it, no problem. So yeah. I don't, I have no inside info, but just want to, you know, credit where credit yeah. is due. No, no, exactly. And so, and, and, and part of it is, this is really big, right? It's 80% of global market share, you know, by, by last count. So it's, it's big. Um, the other thing is it's distributed, right? It's not one- you know, there's there's Binance in this country and Binance in this country, and they're actually different code bases. And so it's actually a pretty interesting network that he's built, global network. It's pretty amazing. I mean, the yeah. guy's actually executed as well as as anybody. So, but my but the issue is if that run on the bank continues, 
that will put downward pressure unless people just take it back and, and put it on a ledger, which would make me happy as an owner of ledger, um, which now has gone from 15% of all the crypto in the world to 20. Just let that sink in for a second. One out of every five crypto is on a ledger. That's I'm a awesome. huge ledger fan. Have you, yeah. oh, did we, I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who was also an investor in Ledger. The new design produced by, it is beautiful. I, oh, I, I swear no, to God. The guy, the guy did I it. am not doing this. this What's his name? Tony? Moment. Yeah. Tony. Yeah. He, it's an iPhone Tony. moment. And he promised it would be an iPhone moment. Pascal is a genius. Pascal is a visionary. And he said this was coming. He said he hired the guy from Apple. The guy came in. And, and look, I, I believe we Tony will Fidel. all carry one of these devices. Yeah. Right? I believe yeah. we will. And so, so, so if everyone just, if, it, if it's a temporary shift from exchange, now we still need exchanges. How are we going to buy and sell you know, to each other if we don't have exchanges? We've got to have exchanges. But, but if, it doesn't, if it doesn't go down and if, and if it's not over levered with BNB, which it probably isn't for all the reasons you said, then I'm Okay. But even if, even if the run on the bank keeps going, as a percentage of total assets, it's still relatively small. So let's go then to Tether. Tether, $65 billion. It's gone from 85 to 65 They handled $20 billion, no problem. But there's a question. Again, the data in the FTX filing said, well, you know, they created 36 billion Tethers. Like, over what period... How much of that was double and triple counting? But let's assume that was the number. Right. So let's say half of tethers aren't real. Okay. So that'd be $35 billion, $36 billion. You know, Bitcoin's a $350 billion asset, $340 billion asset. Okay, 10%. Would 10% take it to zero? No. Would it hurt? Yep. It would hurt. Probably make new lows. But it won't go to zero. And, and then once that's done, once the tether FUD's gone, then we can go back to, to building and growing and, and using. Because at the end of the day, the core, and, and it's different for Bitcoin versus other crypto, but Bitcoin, the core technology of, of a better money, that ain't going back in the bottle. Right? No, it's it not. Is, no. It is the internet of money or the internet of value or the truth net, as I like to call it, replacing trust with truth. So that, that isn't going away. Now, we need exchanges. We need uh, the ability for the common person to get into, you know, but maybe what we have is, is this X, right? Maybe the exchanges were the early thing that we needed and they're going to go down in, in importance. And the ledger is what we're all going to end up have. And we're all just going to have our own wallet. And it literally is the iPhone moment. In 2007, when this came out, stock went down 40%. And everybody said, I'll never pay $500. Really? Smartphone. Oh, yeah. Stock went down 40%. I remember watching that. I, I'm not, Jason watches every, whatever it is, every Apple, oh, yeah. you know, when they do their yearly show. But I remember watching that one. And my dad yeah. got one of the early iPhones, and I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever oh, seen. Oh, no. They're, they're, look, the aficionados bought them for sure. But the average person was like, I'm not spending $500 on a phone. I got my flip phone. I'm perfectly fine. But what we didn't realize is not a phone. It's a supercomputer. It's a supercomputer in your pocket. It's a supercomputer. Yeah. And we all needed them and we all have them. And we yeah. don't pay $500. We pay $1,500. So, you know, haha on us. So Tony Fidel actually didn't, didn't join. Sorry, he was the designer of the iPod. But if you want to follow iPod, that guy's career, yes. what an interesting guy. He was actually involved in this Silicon Valley startup. I don't know if you know him. General Magic, which was at the time a large failure. But if you look at the early designs for General Magic, it looks a lot like the iPhone. They were just trying to create it two, yeah. 15 years too early. Basically. Early is a euphemism for wrong, right? And, yeah. and the, thing about, the thing about, look, I have the, the thing on my, my desk at the office says, you know, success, uh, failure changes for the better, success for the worst. So failing is really a good thing. Yeah. And failing the way they did at General Magic, because I, I actually was involved in some peripheral companies around that time when I was at Notre Dame, um, is really good, right? You know, the, yeah. the Palm Pilot failure was a good thing. Yeah. And any 
evolutionary tech is going to have a series of failures and resilience and the ability to to come back. In fact, I, I did my my around the world with USCO year end review yesterday. And it's funny, I was going back through and, and I had done the seasonality of crypto, talking about why crypto winter is actually a good thing. And in in uh, one of the quotes, which I, which I really love, it says, you know, uh, there's a word for summer, there's a word for spring, there's a word for uh, fall, but the, the word for winter is perseverance. Mm. And it's all about perseverance. You just have to get to the next level. And he did get to the next level. And he, he created the iPod. And the iPod is what transformed Apple. Mm. It wasn't the iPhone. The iPhone accelerated it, but it was the iPod that transformed it because at the time it was a niche business, no mass market adoption. And Michael Dell had invented the digital music mm. right? or electronic music, MP3s. So not digital electric. And it was a stick and there was no screen. It was kind of, it worked. It was fine. And I carried one around, but then the iPod came out and I was like, Ooh, that's better. I can see the, the album art. I can inner I can, I can see what track I'm playing. And it was amazing. Be because we're talking about this and I know my dad listens to all of our roundups. I I'm going to tell the story that my dad absolutely hates. Which is when I was in sixth when I was in sixth grade, my dad said, "Hey, I want you to pick a. I want you to get interested in investing. So I want you. To, I want you to pick a stock, and I will buy some of that stock for you." Yep. The iPod had just come out, so the stock that I picked was Apple. This was oh pre gosh. pre any stock splits, eighteen bucks. Awesome. And is it though? Because my dad thought eighteen dollars was overvalued for Apple, so he bought. Like polymer tech something, it's polymer tech something. God love you, Dad, because you know what? We wouldn't have held it till this time. But if you held it towards now, it was like, it was like a hundred bagger or something like that. And, no, and, that's so awesome. And 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 he actually did the same thing for my uh, for my young sister at the time, who's two years younger than me. The stock that she picked was Google. Dad also thought that was overvalued at Look, the time your dad we, your dad and i are like i, brother love, I love you mothers. i love you pops no 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 <laughs> I, I, I love him I, I i need to spend time with him because we yeah. are we are brothers from another mother in that my same story so i i left my first job i got my little 401k distribution and i uh, went to this asset management firm and uh i had to roll over into a new ira and i basically went i'm gonna, okay i'm gonna buy microsoft and cisco and Intel and, you know, cause the personal computer was just getting started and I'd grown up in Seattle and, and okay. But they were all super overvalued, quote unquote. And I'm, I was working at a value shop. And so this sales guy, this broker comes into the firm and after he gets done meeting with the principals, he's talking to me and, and the secretary and he says, Oh, you know, you guys, you guys should definitely look at these, these two companies, Nova metrics and, and uh, whatever. And like a freaking idiot, <laughs> they were value. And he's like, oh, no, Cisco and Intel, those are super expensive. Those aren't value stocks. You need to buy these value stocks. Zeros. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> instead yeah. of making 100x on my 401k, wouldn't have been as good as Peter Thiel's, right? But um, which way? The, the structure that Peter Thiel used to create that massive tax deferral, Sam Bankman-Fried's dad wrote. He wrote the, the code, so to speak, to avoid the taxes. Anyway, so crazy, life imitates. Uh, but, but anyway, so I, I have to meet your dad sometime and, and spend time together. You guys would, you um, guys would hit it off. Can, can I, and I wanna defend VCs a little bit here. So the reason, why are we talking about this, right? Because there's an enormous, there's still a lot of distress out there what what is the upside for trying to okay it's very easy it it's like that that old statement right the point of maximum financial risk is the point when you don't feel like there's any risk which is basically people tend to buy the top and sell the bottom yep. and it always feels really easy to buy the top and that's exactly when you shouldn't necessarily be buying i'm not a bottom caller i'm not a professional investor but i can i have eyes and i've gone through cycles before and i can observe that all the things that you and i are talking about tend to mark bottoms and i want to tweet this uh, the, Chris Berninski, who Jason and I had on a podcast uh, last week, 
he had this tweet that really resonated with me. Many knee jerks saying that they won't buy here for XYZ reason. The same people will moan about how VCs get preferential access next expansion when they had equal access during this bear market. And by the way, public crypto tokens are still more fairly valued. They're cheaper than private equity in crypto, what VCs get access to. And I always, you know, I always, there was this huge reaction, anti-VC. Guys, VCs are the ones, hey, if you're a builder out there, guess who's funding you right now? VCs. It ain't the community, baby. It's not the community. Yeah. This is when VCs earn their stripes. And I- It's my job, this, right? And look, I'm a late in life VC and, and it's interesting. And so I, I, I heard all the, the nonsense about, you know, VCs are bad. And, and look, the Silicon Valley crowd, you know, that, that, you know, did some deals where there was pre-mining and stuff. Okay, fine. I'm not saying they're perfect, but like- No, 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 no. I, I'm going to say yeah. that there was probably some there there in a couple instances, but at the end of the day, no. Venture capital, one, it's an evergreen business. It's been around for decades. It is what creates the opportunity for the rest of us, right? Yeah. If, if somebody doesn't fund the founder with a great idea, then that business doesn't get created. And no, there's no stock, bond, currency, or commodity to invest in for the rest of us. So innovation is an asset class, which I coined the term, not Kathy, um, but she's way more successful than I am. But uh, we believed in that. And, and you, you've heard my story too many times to, to repeat. But since I had the aha moment in the 90s around this whole tech innovation wave around the internet, when I was actually in a place where I could do something about it and invest with these VCs, like Sequoia and Kleiner before they were famous and Mayfield and Sutter Hill and, and all these great firms. And then over the years backing, you know, we backed Peter Thiel when he was just starting Founders Fund, Fund, fund One. And look, Fund One, Fund Two, Fund Three, best funds by far, always. And as the market, the March of the Roman numerals happens, people get big, they get in the business of managing assets rather than the asset management business. I mean, they get in the asset management business instead of the business of managing assets and, and it falls off. So. 70% of what we've invested in in other funds for 20 years is funds one, two, and three. And, you know, we just finished our third fund. We're, now we're in the March of the Roman numerals. We're getting ready to do fund four, but we're still small. And small in a time like this, I, I've never seen better deal flow. 2018 was close. 2018, we had incredible deal flow, unbelievable prices. But the stuff we're seeing, the founders I'm talking to this past week, it was, it's a joy. Now it's hard because no one wants to give us any money to invest, but man, the opportunity set right now in venture capital, particularly early stage, seed stage venture capital. I feel it, the same. Mark, this would be the best vintage in the last 20 years. Bar none. 2023 I, will be the best vintage in 20 years. I agree with you. And I look, you're hearing from a VC and an investor in the form of Mark and someone who's operating a business in crypto today. I'm telling you, there has never... There, this is not BS, not something you just say on podcasts. <clears throat> there has never been a better time to company build than right now. I know it sucks out there. I know there's, you know, all these headwinds that you're fighting, but like headwinds are how you build good business hygiene and good practices inside a company. Headwinds are how you build uh, discipline and resolve and conviction. Headwinds are also how you assemble good teams. You, a bull market, a good team does not make. I will say that. Doing it, what's hard. I, doing what's easy makes you soft. Doing yeah. what's hard. Makes you hard, makes you good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in everything in life, do you do you get healthy by not exercising and not eating right? No. Do you, you get healthy by doing what's hard? It is hard to have discipline to, to to work out or to exercise or to do yoga or whatever your thing is. It right. is hard. Like I wimped out this morning, right? I, I do the, the cold shower thing and I wimped out this morning. I was I was tired and I was and I just like, no, I'm just gonna do a quick regular shower. No, do what's hard. And it's, it's amazing. If you do what's hard, one, you feel better because you achieve something and you overcome fear and anxiety and, and all that good stuff. Two, it just makes you stronger. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's metabolic reasons why cold water is better than hot water. There's metabolic reasons why lifting heavy weights is good for you. There's metabolic reasons why putting good macros in your body rather than crap is good for you. Yeah. And the same thing with investing. If, if you want to be a builder, you don't want to do it in la la land when no. people are throwing money at you because you have no discipline. And I had a VC buddy uh, years and years ago. 
And uh, other than being a dookie, he was a good guy. Um, <laughs> oh, I, Mark, I thought you were calling him a dookie like a... No, 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 a dookie like a Duke fan. <laughs> so he was a Duke grad and, and he was amazing. And he, he told me a story and, and I tell it all the time. I've probably told on, on the podcast before that investing, it's, it's like being a family. When you're a young family and you're on a budget and you don't have any money, you want to go out to dinner, right? You save up for a month. You take the kids over to grandma and grandpa's. You go out, you split an appetizer, you split an entree. You each have dessert. You have seven cups of coffee. You stretch it out for four hours and it is glorious, right? When you get a little wealthier, you get a little money, you want to go out to dinner and you throw the kids in the back of the car, you go to McDonald's, right? You don't play, you just do it because you, you got the free cash flow and it's not a great experience. Hardship forces discipline. Discipline forces good decision-making and good outcomes. Yeah. And he said the same with investing, right? If I give a company a bunch of money, they're going to buy Super Bowl ads. They're going to hire people they don't need. They're not going to be focused. They're going to, you know, the guy's going to buy the fancy car and spend week. Like there's a manager uh, that, 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 you know, I used to talk about red Ferrari syndrome. In, in the manager world. And we'd allocate money to managers. And when they got super successful, they, they'd buy the red Ferrari and we'd take our money back. We had this one guy every weekend. He had been divorced and he had this new girlfriend every weekend. He was getting on the jet on Thursday, going up to Montana, taking her out bow hunting. That was their thing. And I go, well, that's four out of the seven days. When are you managing my money, right? I mean, yeah, yeah you're yeah. rich and you got a private plane and you can go do that. And Back to venture, one last thing on venture. So after the debacle, the tech crash, a buddy of mine was out at, and I shouldn't name names, but a very large venture fund um, that, you know, wasn't Quine or Sequoia, but it was, an, it was, it was a very, very successful. I mean, yeah. big. I don't name the name. It was Redpoint. Um, because it happened. <laughs> no, no, it happened. I mean, it, it's, this is real. Yeah. This happened. Yeah. So, and look, again, more successful than me, and, and they're, they're amazing. But they got up, and, and the general partner said, you know, guys, I got good news. We're going back to basics. And my friend stood up in the back and he said, all right, I got two questions. Okay. One, why did we ever leave the basics? And two, how are you going to do that? Given that you carded 224 rounds of golf last year? He's like, well, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I went to USGA.org and you played 224 rounds of golf. He said, well, I play a lot of two rounds on the weekend. He's like, yeah, but I also went to FAA gov and I tacked your tail and you're taking off on Wednesday night and you're going up to Bandon Dunes and playing a lot of golf up there. So Bandon. let's, and the guy was like beat red and, and it was all public and, and he changed and, and red point came back and, and they did well. But, but the point was, why do we ever leave the basics? You only leave the basics when you get soft and you get soft when there's too much money and it's too easy. And when it's hard, like right now, I mean, one, the people that you actually form relationships with, they're amazing, right? Yeah. And, and they're going to build amazing things. So uh, as painful as it is, and we talked about this before we went on air today, it's depressing right now. And for the first time in eight years of my crypto journey, I'm having not second thoughts. I've probably had second, third, and fourth, and fifth thoughts already. But but I'm, I'm, having, I'm having to struggle because there's bad people doing bad stuff and there's there's things that, that don't make any sense and, and the government's fighting hard and but at the end of the day this is about the tech it's about the people and it's about the future and that makes me so excited every day when i wake up and so we'll keep fighting yeah i agree uh mark this has been a ton of fun my friend best hour of my week i will see you here uh, next week man all right awesome. thanks man cheers 